Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Drive Through HR. This is Robin Schooling, and I am here today with my co-host, Michael Vandervoort. Michael, how are you? I'm good, Robin. We're, we're doing a second show inside a week. It's we're, we're on a roll here this week, so that's great. We, we're on the, it's the mid-year um, pre, you know, holiday roll or something. I don't know. Right. <laughs> we, or, we take, we go on hiatus a month at a time sometimes. I mean, that's what that's we've right. done recently because we both have day jobs, but it's, no, I'm good. Yeah, right. It's, it's um, I'm, I, you said you were sweltering. It's less sweltering where I am, but only by a couple degrees. So it's pretty warm, but uh, I'm in an air conditioned office. So it's all good. Yes. Well, we do do drive through from the comfort of our studios slash home offices slash offices. So we're good. We are exactly. good. Um, but let's uh, let's dive into our show today. I'm I'm very much looking forward to um, our guests because I think uh, the more I have learned about him as the ramp up to this show, um, the, the more fascinating is his outlook and his career and everything is to me. So uh, welcome everyone to the show. Don Robertson, who is the EVP and CHRO of Northwestern Mutual Life. Hello, Don. Hi, Robin and Michael. It's great to be here with you today. Thanks for it joining is, us. It is fabulous. And uh, we are, we've got a lot of things to talk about and and your fascinating HR journey and especially a lot of the things that you've worked on at, uh, I'm just going to say NML because of course, you know, that's, that's my, uh, that's my okay. We see is to always use that. <laughs> we still use that as well a lot ourselves too. So that's okay. Good, good. Um, so um, as as we kick kick our show off here, um, Don, we're going to ask you mm-hmm. to tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I mean, uh, as I've said on a number of occasions, I probably don't have your typical career uh, trajectory and what it took to get into being an HR person. I mean, I'm married. I've got two boys, 19 and 22. I've uh, been with my wife for almost close to 40 years. Uh, it's dating and married. So uh, we're, we're in Milwaukee. Uh, we have a beautiful house in Fox Point on the lake. Uh, and so it's uh, it's just a an, an big dog lover. So uh, anything animals is a big hit for me. Um, a, a avid uh, fitness guy, I'm really uh, and golfer. So not, I don't have a lot of uh, a lot of hobbies, but I'm very passionate about the ones I do. And, and, I, <laughs> and I enjoy collecting wine. Um, from a career standpoint, um, you know, I grew up in, as I said, Central California, uh, played played a lot of baseball, um, started my career, though, in, in the business side. I'm actually an accounting and a marketing major. Um, 
which I will tell you later on why I think that has a lot of advantages for what I do today. Um, and I spent the first probably, I don't know, 18, 19 years of my career in various finance, general management, sales roles. So I'm a CPA by original background. Um, long before, though, uh, Sarbanes-Oxley and some of the new things. Uh, and I started my career, in fact, at Deloitte, uh, Deloitte when it was called Deloitte Haskins itself. Oh, um, my yeah, so that's a while ago. Uh, spent a number of years at GE Capital, spent a number of years at Stanford Research Institute um, in various finance and controller, took a couple of companies public, um, uh, and then spent a number of years at Stanford Research Institute where I was in their consulting firm and ran, ran it. Then I spent about 15 years at Hewlett Packard, um, first as, a, as actually a business person. I was responsible for their sales and services for their um services organization that was mostly focused on consulting and outsourcing. And then I shifted into HR. And that's a long story. But what I will tell you is the the whole reason that I ended up going into HR is because at that time, HP was really looking for people to, to help drive the function that actually understood the business. They were going through major transformation as a business and major change as a business. And they really wanted the HR function to be one that was much more focused on business-oriented types of types of challenges, um, and then I, you know, I've spent uh, I spent a number of years and, and did large uh, roles at HP. I was head of sales, uh, sales learning and development for the entire sales organization. I was responsible for HR roles in their marketing organization. I was responsible for HR roles in their services and outsourcing and their uh, global technology and operations. Um, having teams as large as you know four or five hundred people, and uh, and I, I was also responsible for HR for all of Asia. I moved to Singapore for three and a half years with my family, uh, which was a great experience, by the way. Having my mm. kids were like four and six, so it was a great time for them to go. Uh, the biggest challenge was figuring out how to get our dog there, um, <laughs> which uh, which is no no easy task. Um, but it was I a can imagine. yeah, but it was it was a wonderful experience. My kids still talk about it. But it was great for me because I also got a chance to really understand a lot of different cultures, had responsibility from India over to China, all the way down to uh, the South Pacific. And then I spent a number of years in doing some startup, a few startups and a, and a couple of private equity companies. And then I landed here about uh, about a little over five years ago. Um, and it's been a great experience at Northwestern. It's a fantastic company with unbelievable culture and values. And, and it's, it's really the first company I've worked at where I felt like the, the noble purpose was real. You know, a lot of mm -hmm. people, a lot of companies try to come up with a mission and a noble purpose. But when you mm -hmm. have one where you're focused on really bringing to life the, the financial uh, kind of, you know, end, end point that, you're, that your clients are trying to get to and you helping them achieve those things so they can live their lives, that's a pretty big deal. And, and it's, a, it's a very mission-driven company. And it's been a great five years. Beautiful. That's a that's that's a heck of a journey and some very uh, some very diverse uh, experiences. You know, we talked a little bit in the pre-show about the size of the organization, that kind of stuff. But I think um, I, I was I'm struck on because I didn't get a chance to do a lot of research on you before I jumped on the call. You, you worked at HP, which is a very well-known company, the garage mm -hmm. startup, kind of the mm -hmm. legendary thing, right? I'm, mm -hmm. This is a bonus question or or one that wasn't on our list. It's okay. Uh, Compact was was like the one of the big I don't know if you were there when they when they acquired you I was, was I was you guys had EDS which was a Ross Pearl company and you know uh -huh. had its very own unique culture and then was acquired and and then you had compact so that was that that HP and th that conglomerate rolled up quite a, a big chunk of uh 
different corporate cultures and different different yep. histories, right? And we're going to talk about the culture uh, and your approach to talent strategy at, at NML in a second. But can you just comment for a second on like what that dynamic was like to merge those cultures? Because that's such a hard thing, you know? Well, it's one of the biggest, it's frankly, one of other than the business integration challenges that you have from a business standpoint, the cultural integration is probably the most uh, impactful and it's probably the least done well. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. and, and because most of the time, uh, people really miss, they don't think about it to the, to the extent, because usually mergers are driven by the business folks and it's usually driven for business and product reasons. And, but, but it's, the work is still done by people. And, um, and one of the things that actually HP learned from that, because, you know, you, you've got mercury, you've got, uh, autonomy, you had a number, I mean, it was like seven, eight, nine, uh, mergers. There's companies like Cisco that do it really well. Um, mm. and I think, uh, I, and I wouldn't say that HP early on did it really well. And one of the things, Michael, we ultimately had to do was form uh, an, uh, what we call a mergers and acquisitions development organization. And, 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 and after doing a couple of those and they didn't go well, and HR played a very major role. And in fact, was one of the major uh, leaders of, 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 that, of uh, mergers and so forth because of that reason of the cultural things that you talked about. And in fact, I played a very lead role in the EDS acquisition from an HR standpoint for that very reason. And, and the, the, really what I would tell you fundamentally comes down to you, you, you need to have a strong culture to begin with, because if you don't, you're going to end up with a, a really kind of a, almost a, an amalgamation that you don't want. And so what you have to ultimately really think about is what are the core values of you as a company? There's things that you'll compromise on, you know, approaches, business processes, et cetera. But there's things you will not compromise on. The way you treat people, the way you think about your customers, the mission and values of what you do, how you compensate, how you reward, the integrity, uh, those kind of things. And you better be really clear about what those things are. And so when you're bringing an acquisition uh, in, you need to make sure that they're they're not you know, that they understand, and it needs to be discussed in even at the very early stages of thinking about a merger. What mm -hmm. you find is if you don't talk about these things up front, because there's a lot of mergers that make sense on paper, but that doesn't mean they make sense from a, from a, from a mix of culture. And, uh, and, and at the end of the day, when you don't do it well, you're going to, you're not going to keep the key people that you need uh, from either company. Uh, and, and that's ultimately what's going to bring the value of the, of the merger and or the acquisition and, you know, and we learned that lesson at HP, frankly, the hard way. We did a couple of acquisitions where we lost a tremendous amount of the talent that we were hoping to bring over because ultimately either they didn't like the way we did things or we didn't want to do things the way they did them, et cetera, mm -hmm. and, 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 and also just didn't engage them early enough. I mean, you know, it's funny how you'll be in the rooms, you'll be talking about a deal and you're forgetting about the fact that that deal doesn't really work if you don't keep key people. And I'm not just talking about the five or six that make all the money from it. I'm talking about, you know, down in the organization right. um, and how, how, how seldom that's even thought about in, at those stages. And so, you know, the thing, the key is talent can't be thought of as a bolt-on it has to be threaded throughout the entire process. And that's yeah. the real, and I'll talk about that um, when I talk about DNI, when I talk about anything you want to try to do, you have to thread those principles within your entire talent process. They cannot be add-ons at, at stages. They it has to mm -hmm. just be built into the fabric of what you do. 
Yeah, that's a that's a great summary. Thanks. Um, let's get to the question I was supposed to ask you, which is uh, let let's look at the focus that you guys have at Northwestern Mutual Life, where you look at you look to leverage a human plus data approach to level mm -hmm. up your talent strategy. Mm -hmm. What's that look like in practice? How do you can you tell us what that looks like and what it is? Well, one of the very early things that any any CHRO worth their weight is going to do when they join a company is first of all understand. What is the company trying to achieve from a business standpoint? What's the business strategy? What are you trying to accomplish from a business? And then therefore, what is the what are the skills and capabilities you're going to need to be able to do that? Okay. And then what talent do you have and what capabilities and skills do they have? Where are your gaps and what are you going to do about it? Um, and you use data um, because in, it, it's important that you understand what it, what are what are the skills and capabilities you're going to need. What do you have? What are the gaps? And by the way, you apply the same thing when you look at you know uh, early on. What is what is your top? Who's your top talent? Who are your critical people? What do you who you who do you need to keep? Who do you need? And I remember one of the very early meetings that I was in, and I was listening to this incredible uh, discussion by our CEO when he was interviewing me about his talent and his or excuse me his vision for the business. And he got done and he did a, a, a great job explaining what he was trying to do from a business standpoint. And he looked at me and said, what do you think? I said, I really only have one question. And he said, what's that? And I said, how do you know you have the talent to do that? And, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, and he's looked at me like, huh, that's a really good question. And I remember I said, the only way you're going to know that is you have to be really clear your talent strategy, I mean, excuse me, your vision and business strategy, your financial strategy and your talent strategy have to be in sync. Um, Oftentimes, businesses will have these really ambitious strategies that will require a, a, a level of talent that they don't even know whether they have or not. And of course, the answer can't be, let's just go hire people because mm -hmm. you may not be able to afford that. They may not be the timing you want. So we use data to really inform those kind of decisions by you know, understanding the skills and capabilities of our people. You might have as part of your talent strategy that you want to increase your diversity. You want to increase your population of women. So you got to build that in. So one of the very first things I looked at from a data standpoint, hey, show me the top talent in the organization. Okay, great. And you know, we had nine box, we used nine box. So like who are the box ones, who are the box twos, fours kind of thing. All right, show me the women that are in those. Show me the people of color that are in those. And when you start mm -hmm. seeing data will help you understand, you know, I I I when I first came here, I heard, wow, we, we unbelievable DNI focus here. And I remember I said, Well, show me the data. It's great mm -hmm. that we get on stage and we talk about it. It's great that we talk about it in the press, but and but show me the data. What percentage of our, are, are the percentage of our people of color and women comparable to to, to men? Are the are the, um, the the number of top talent the same? What's the engagement scores? What does the survey data show? What is the you know how many promotions did we do last year? Is it proportional? You know, and you just use data as a powerful tool to really in a, in a way it really sets the agenda for what you need to focus on because people can say a lot of things anecdotally and a lot of things emotionally but data doesn't lie i mean you know mm -hmm. you can say you have this big focus on dni but if your data shows that the results aren't there then you then maybe you need to do something different and so yeah um I, to me i use data i combine data from the science side with the art side of, of what are you actually trying to do? And, and to me, what makes data so powerful is people can't really argue with it. Mm -hmm. they, they, you know, they can argue with the way that you're going to, uh, you're going to tactically or, or, or strategically move forward, but they can't argue with the data. Right. Right. Get to get, you're starting with the starting point really right. at the, it's a great baseline. At, at the, 
Yeah, yeah. It's a great, exactly. it's a great equalizer too, Robin, because I can tell you when you're trying to drive change and transformation, it's a very emotional thing, especially you take a company. Mm-hmm. This is a 160, you know, five-year-old company that's had that's yeah. wildly wildly successful, incredibly well-intended, incredible values, mission-driven, and everything else. And if you go, you start start out a conversation by telling them that they're doing something wrong. That is right. generally not going to go over well. Um, <laughs> right. But it, but if you just show the data, well, hey, I understand that you you know here's what you really want. Well, here's what the data shows. The mm-hmm. people are looking, they'll, they'll kind of like, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, we've got mm-hmm. work to do. And so you don't, you don't, you don't, when you're trying to drive change, data can be a really powerful way to get people to actually at least be pointed in the right direction without having to get into an emotional discussion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another area of work that has become very emotionally charged uh, over the last several years and day to day, it seems is remote work um, and and what that means, how it's changed, uh, what companies yep. are doing to, to adjust or dial back or dial forward, whatever. You have, have taken, a, a, again, a very planned approach to remote work, um, expanding your footprint as you've hired remote tech talent, as I know one example of that, um, but you've also focused on retaining that that connectivity to employees mm-hmm. uh, as they're dispersed. So how do you promote that community building aspect of, of the culture, of the employee experience that you yep. have yep. built and nurtured? Yeah, Robin, before I answer that, may I give just one more antidote on the previous question? Absolutely. So, yeah, one, one antidote I wanted to add. When I came here, one of the things I consistently heard from people was how great the culture is. And we all know it was great. But but when I got here, one of the things that I noticed when I, I did a bunch of roundtables and I did a bunch of because the, the, the survey scores at that time were actually pretty low. And, mm-hmm. and I remember hearing from leaders. Um, well, you know, my people, everybody I talked to, they're, they're feeling really great about things. And I said, mm-hmm. yeah, but you're only interacting with 30 or 40 people. So one of the things I started to do was talk to two or three hundred, two or three thousand people that nobody didn't come. It was a very relationship oriented company. And so yeah. what I used, I used data because what I actually said was, well, hey, listen, you got a 45% engagement score over in these areas. So you're doing, we're not doing something right there. By the way, I can report today that engagement across the entire company, across every, uh, both yeah. genders, across every diversity, every geography is all north of 80%. Awesome. Um, and, and, and so you can, you can't, you know, and remote employees included, which I'll talk about here in a second. Um, yeah. But what that's an example of, you know, where somebody's like the people were really proud of the culture and there was a lot of really good things, but it was very easy to demonstrate it's not working for everybody. And so we have to use we have to use a more institutional approach, a more sophisticated, a more modern approach to and, and and to make sure that everyone is getting those opportunities, not just the 50 to 100 people that we all know. Um, and the key was expanding the population of people that had those that had those opportunities by helping mm-hmm. them get exposure to the opportunities. And that's another way that data can be really powerful. But mm-hmm. but to your question about remote, I mean, listen, I, the, the biggest challenge that I think that most companies, we all, we all know that the world is never going back to what it was pre-pandemic. I mean, we just experienced the largest simulation that you can work remotely and be effective that the world will ever go through. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, the last pandemic wasn't during a time when you had computers and Zoom and everything else. So, you know, you, you it was a different world, but we just experienced, you know, many of us, we used to do tests on can we function 
if we have everybody remote in case we have a catastrophic event, we have to go remote for mm-hmm. a week. Well, mm-hmm. we just did that for, for years and it, mm-hmm. and it worked, you know, and we had productive, you know, we had the, our company had the greatest two years in its 166 year history during the mm-hmm. pandemic. Um, so you can't say that you can't do it um, because we know that you can. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't things that suffered as a result of it. You know, we obviously know the, the challenges of mental illness and isolation and all these things. But what I consistently tell people and uh, when we when we think about it from a planning standpoint is you you have to stop thinking that proximity equals connectedness. Um we all know we have neighbors sometimes next door to us. So we may talk, to, you know, once a year and you have family members that live out across the country that you're going to see a lot more often because you intentionally make an effort. So to me, con- connectedness is what makes connectedness, not not proximity. And so even if you're in the same office and you never actually meet at the water cooler and talk to each other, you know, what's the you know, so you could be in the same office. But if you're spending all your time on Zoom meetings and everything else, what's the, what's the right. point? Where's the advantage of that? So what we've done, what's more intentionally, is really reinforce and really re-engage with our people leaders to recognize that you have to intentionally make much more of an effort to connect with your people, whether they're in person or whether they're remote. If they're remote, you have to even make much more of an effort. So even if we've got somebody remote, for example, that doesn't come into the office, that lives in another state, because we have about 20, over 2,000 employees, about 25% of our employee base is remote, not not near a location. So you have a significant, and a lot of them are technology folks. Uh, what that did was allow us to recruit and, and, and be able to really grow our talent base for skills that we absolutely had to have and couldn't find in Milwaukee and New York. But at the yep. same time, we recognized that we needed to connect those people. So we had to rethink the way we did onboarding. We had to rethink the way we connected with them. We had to be much more intentional about regular one-on-ones. And, and, and like sessions like this, for example, Robin, I do five to 10 of these kind of sessions a week with 20 to 30 employees at a time. So I'm talking to two to 300 employees a month, just Mm. doing these kind of, hey, how's it going? What can we do? What's working? What's not? And if you get all your people leaders doing that, you get all, and in fact, we do a program called Project Uplift for our Black and African-American, Hispanic and uh, uh, populations. And we're doing it now for for other populations as well, where where every member of the senior leadership team meets with members of those those, those, uh, communities. Um, And we just use this much more intentional, planned, organized kind of informal discussion. So it's not, you know, we don't orchestrate it to where, hey, these are the six questions and we're going to, you know, we, it's unscripted. It's, it's, uh, it's just people talking to people. Um, And the beauty of it is you give a, you you know, at first it was a little awkward for people, but now everybody knows when they get on a call with me, they can ask me anything. They can tell me anything. They can, uh, they can talk about what's working, what's not. So it's just a very powerful way to connect with people. And then it just, the momentum of that just kind of takes care of itself. Um, you know, before you know it, uh, all of a sudden people are asking for those kind of things and they're reaching out to it. Managers are using it as a tool. And I wouldn't say we're perfect at it, but I would tell you if you, you can make remote employees feel the same as if they're in person, if you make mm-hmm. the right level of effort. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean we never want them to come in. Because there's nothing more impressive than walking through our building and realizing what you're part of and and excited. It still gives me goosebumps. I remember the first time I walked through it. But, you know, it doesn't have to be every week. It doesn't have to be every month. Um, You know, you need to, but you need to, it's all about connecting. You have to connect. Mm -hmm. We are human beings. We want to connect with each other. And that's the real key. 
Mm -hmm. Don, I let um, I threw in an extra question there. I said sure. at the beginning, um, and now we're now it's of course selfishly teetered us towards the end of messing up some time. So I'm going to change up a little bit the question. Um, I can go longer if you need to. By the way, yeah, yeah, that, that's cool. I mean, it's all good, but I, I'm, I know we just we try to stick kind of thirty okay. minutes. But if okay. we roll over, that's good. Is we won't cut you off. But but you know, kind of kind of maybe roll DEI into this mm -hmm. question. Um, but in your role as CHRO, you've talked about it a little bit already, but you, you play a critical role in driving strategy and change. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you uh, characterize your approach and mindset? And maybe you can frame that up around your DEI initiatives and some of the other things you've mentioned. How do I frame my mindset in terms of the role I play in a uh, how do you characterize your approach and mindset uh, in driving change? Oh. Well, I mean, my approach is one of really painting a vision of what we're trying to get to. I think the most powerful thing you can do is align on outcomes. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I tend to I tend to avoid getting into discussions about the how until I until I really focus on what's the what's the what, right? Mm -hmm. Because I often find that people are much more aligned on what you want, you know, in terms of what you want. Like, for example, DEI was a great example here. The company here. They really wanted to have a much more diverse environment and they wanted to have, I'll give you two examples and they wanted to have a more performance driven environment. And I remember when I got here, they, they, they you know, I met with my CEO and, and a few other folks and they said, we want a performance driven culture. We want more DEI. And I remember I said to them, that's interesting. And they said, well, why is that? I said, because there's nothing tactically that I can see that you're doing that's going to make that happen. And, um, you know, you don't, you, you, you don't fire people, you reward people for, you pay more in an egalitarian way. You don't hold managers accountable if they, you know, if they don't hit those DNI targets, you don't measure it, you don't, you know, and I just went through the list of, and uh, it doesn't mean that they didn't value it, but it, it's like, mm -hmm. so you, I first tried to align on well, what, what are you actually, and then I said, so tell me what it is you actually want, what, what does success actually look like? You mm -hmm. know, do you, are you, are you trying to get a population that's 30%, you know, we went from, by the way, 9% people of color to 30, 30% people of color in my time. Wow. And, wow. you know, we've gone from, Almost 50% of our, our, our employees are, or actually 50% of our employees are women. Almost 50% of our leadership, uh, our people leaders are now women. But the only way we could get to that was we had to have an alignment. Is, is that what you're trying to get to? Because then you can say, well, if that's what you want to get to, these are the types of things you need to think about, you know, and, and, you, and, and you know, you align on the outcome. And then, then it's much easier to have the discussion about, well, how are you going to get there? Um, mm -hmm. And then what is it going to look like? And, you know, mm -hmm. because because it, a lot of times people get hung up on debating the tactics without really understanding, you know, most of the times they, they're in agreement on where they're trying to get to, because I'll have discussions with people where I'm like, OK, well, this is what we want to get to. There's a there's several different ways we can get there um, rather than having debates about tactics when not, not you know, a lot of times one way isn't the only way um, you know, to get to the same outcome. And so, yeah. in fact, I'll get in disagreements with some of my colleagues that have been here a long time. And by the way, they're fabulous colleagues, all of them. I love them. But I'll be like, they'll talk about this this way that's you know that 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 they think, and I'll be like, hey, that's that's fine, and I know that's worked for you for a business process. But there's nine other things you could do too, and that may be the best. But how about if we look take a white sheet approach where we just take that set it aside for a second and just take an un, undefined approach and look, and maybe we might come up with a different answer that might be better. Maybe it'll be your answer. But, you know, I try to avoid debates on tactics and try to spend more time on aligning on the outcome. Yeah, yeah. And, and then that's what we've done with, 
with, you know, we're, we're now much more performance driven culture. We've implemented performance management to a much, much more aggressive degree. We still, hey, listen, we're not Wall Street. We're still a nice company. We still want to treat people well and everything else. But but we want to hold people more accountable if they're not doing the mm -hmm. things we need them to do. And DEI is a great example that we all aligned in what we were trying to do, because trust me, you can't get those kind of results if, if, if you're not getting the whole company behind you. But, you know, we had to do things like once we aligned on that, then we changed. We required slating. We required, you know, metrics. We started we built it into our, our performance process. We actually built it into our our bonus program. Um, so then you do a lot of things tactically to make that happen. And you get a lot more support for change to, to the things you need to do tactically if you're aligned on the outcome. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. um, what have you put your uh, prognosticator hat on here for a moment? Sure. Um, and tell us what you what you believe are some of the the trends and the themes um, in HR, in the world of work, um, that you anticipate will kind of dominate dominate the landscape, the HR landscape here through the rest of the year into into next year. Well, I think there's two or three themes we can dive into. A few of them. Um, return to campus is still a big debate. You know, there are still there are still absolutely people leader our leaders out there that believe we can go back to the way it was bring people back in you know that people need to be in the office three four five days a week or they're not productive um and i think that's still a pretty significant debate and, and you know and that's that's a trend that i think will continue for the next year or two uh, you know I, I worry about if you get too heavy-handed with that what does that do for women what does that do for people of color mm -hmm. what does that do um uh, you know and making you attractive um, you know, and I, I really do believe that that's a, that's a big question. I think another mm -hmm. one that to me, Robin, the thing I'm most passionate about is, and I'm spending most of my energy on over the next year or two is starting to figure out a way to really put our money where our mouth is in the, in the HR function. We've talked for years about the employee and the shareholder or the customer are on the same plane, but we've rarely done anything from a, from a, from a culture and an institutional standpoint to make that actually happen. What I mean by that is hmm. if you really want to put an employee on the same level with a customer or shareholder, then you need to make sure while they're delivering for the customer, they're also delivering for themselves, which means hmm. the way you do talent management, the way you do career development, the way you do career growth has got to be much more intentional towards helping make sure they're achieving their career plans while they're doing the work. So it, you have to be much more clear about what their career plans are. You have to have managers that are more career guides, not just getting the work done. And, and, uh -huh. it's, and you have to institutionalize that whole process, which is not easy. Um, and that's a big one. And then I, you know, I think another one is AI. Um, I were, you know, I really think about, you know, what is AI? What is the capabilities in that area going to do to roles that are administrative or, or data oriented? You know, anything that's going to be, you know, able to be computerized. And and so you, you know, as I start thinking about roles in the next two to three years, you know, uh, efficiency and how things are done, that's mm -hmm. going to, I think that's going to have a material impact. To a lot of the, 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 you know, we have a lot of call center roles. We have a lot of, you know, data transcribe kind of roles. We have a, you know, yeah. what is it going to do to those kind of things? And I, and I, I get nervous when I hear people prognosticating what's, you know, that you know, three hundreds of millions of jobs are going to be eliminated and all these kind of things. When we don't even know exactly how we're going to secure an environment. To, you know, I mean, I, I do think that's going to have a massive impact, but I don't think I think there's many intricate details that have still got to be worked out. Mm -hmm. um, and then Robin, I'd say the last one 
I think in their function, HR people have to realize that you have to be able to speak the language of the business. I, I think a trend that's going to get even more so over the next you know, number of years is if you want to be a successful senior HR person, you have to be able to uh, be able to communicate with business people the way that they the way they see the world. Budgets are getting tighter. You know, we've seen it with layoffs mm-hmm. and everything else. Uh, challenges are getting to be bigger and more complex. And if you're going to be the senior HR folks and really driving the talent strategies, driving, the, you have to have a seat at the table that, you, you know, if you're sitting around our SL senior leadership team, you're not going to know who's the HR person from who's the product person, from who's mm-hmm. the client mm-hmm. experience. You need to be able to actually represent all elements of the business. And because otherwise, how do you design the talent strategies? How do you design the cultural strategies? And so I, mm-hmm. I think the more that HR folks can realize that just having domain expertise is not enough. And then they mm-hmm. need to really understand how the business works. I, 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 kind of a piece of that, because again, knowing your background and, and the accounting and marketing and the business mm-hmm. background, you know, coming and then layering on HR on top of that. Have you ever had, um, and maybe you do at NML, but um, um, or have you ever built sort of rotational programs for HR folks on your team so that they do go out and they spend time in a marketing role or whatever? We've done that. We did that at Hewlett Packard quite a bit. It was much more institutionalized. We actually created a program called the Managing uh, uh, Map Program Program. Uh, which was all about rotations. It wasn't necessarily outside the outside the function, but it was all elements of the function, which had business uh-huh. elements in it. Um, and I've seen those kind of programs. GE obviously did that in my GE days. Um, and uh, it's one of the things that I actually really highly recommend that companies can do. It's harder to do when you have smaller organizations, obviously. Yeah. And 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 companies rare they always do a great job of the send out. It's the send back part that's always the challenge, <laughs> right? Because the timing doesn't always seem to work. Somebody's got to have right. a role, um, you know, and so forth. But uh, but but I, I strongly believe in those kind of things. And my advice would be do them in small doses first, um, you know, four, five, six, get some success points. We've done it here with, you know, small numbers, um, mm-hmm. sent people out to the business. Uh, we do that a lot actually with our home office employees, sending them out to the field, the sales organization in the field, and then bringing them back. Yeah. And, Cause it's all about perspective, Robin. It's, it's, um, the more, more perspective you can bring to the table when you're as an executive, the more that you're going to be effective. Um, mm-hmm. and so whether it's, a, and the, whether it's a business perspective, a field perspective, a geographical perspective, a functional perspective, those are very powerful things. And you, unfortunately, you can't train your way to that. You have to. You have to experience it. I yeah. honestly believe that the the currency of the future, when it comes to HR, is your experience, your perspective, your skills. It's not your title, not your role. It's 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 really the currency is going to be what what you can do and what you can bring. And the faster that we move as, as companies to value in that versus titles and roles, and and I think this next generation is all over this. Um, the, the faster I think we'll be in a position where it's about it's about truly the talent, you know, not about hierarchy and titles and roles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so we're going to wrap up in a second, Don. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna ask another bonus question though, just sure. to kind of so so you know what you just said, um, very true. I agree with the, everything you just said related to the the senior leadership and you know get, but the but the challenge and Robin alluded to one way, which is kind of a formal program of rotational mm-hmm. program. Well, let's just say you're a mid-level HR business partner, you know, and they hear they hear what you say, right? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, how do they go do that with all the complex things that HR business partners, because we're still uh, in many ways a, a business department of many hats, right? We mm -hmm. switch out from labor relations mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. you know, it's Tom, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So how does it, beyond just, you know, living life and at 100 miles an hour, how does an HR business partner get to where you are now? How do they do that intentionally? Can you give us some advice for those folks that will be listening in? Well, and, and it's the same thing that I, I talked about at the beginning. Um, you have to understand that, first of all, the career goals, uh, HR is no, not immune from that. We should have the same kind of career planning yeah. that we offer the company. So I can um, tell you what I'm doing. I've got people on my team. I'm going to be retiring in a few years. And uh, I've got people on my team that want my role. And so the first thing you have to sit down and do, whether it's, whether it's my role, whether it's the level below me or a couple levels down, understand what does it take to be successful in those roles? What are the experiences? What are the skills? What are the capabilities? And really be intentional. So what an HR business partner should do in the mid-level is they should really be sitting down with their their, their leader and their, that they report to and really understanding what, what it is they want to accomplish in their career. Do they want to be the CHRO? Do they want to be the head yeah. of comp? Do they? Because you know you shouldn't make an assumption of what somebody wants to do. You should really understand what is it yeah. you what is it you're aspiring to? And then you should really sit down and, and this is where the science piece comes in. Well, what are the types of skills and capabilities you're going to need to have? What are the types of experiences? What are the type of perspectives? And then be very intentional to try to help them get those things, whether it's part-time assignments. Like, for example, you know, I, I sit down with people on my team and one level below. I know so-and-so wants this job. So, hey, that's an assignment that I, it's a two-month project. That would really be good for them because they need mm -hmm. to build some, they need to build some finance skills. And I'm going to go have them go work with the finance team on this, on this plan that we're going to be doing to change the budget, you know, or, or, cause there's a number of things that you need to be really good at to be sitting in my chair, whether it's finance, whether it's how to make executive presentations to boards and CSLTs, how to make persuasive arguments. You know, all these kinds of things, which you're not going to necessarily get just from being a business partner. Um, mm -hmm. And so you have to be really understand what those pieces and parts are to be a successful CHRO uh, and, and or the whatever level you're trying to get to and be very intentional about getting the person those skills, document it, mm -hmm. track it. You know, I mean, I had you know, like a, a person on my team that, that is really, really good. Uh, it's really smart and, and wants to be a CHRO. And when I got here, you know, a handful of years ago, I said to them, I, I will help you learn the things you need to learn. So you'll be a great one. And we've been very intentional about that. So the experiences that I've been trying to get for him are all designed to get him ready for that. And, it, yep. and, and it's also going to be as simple as just exposing him to things. Um, but it all starts with being very intentional and very thoughtful about what it is you're trying to get to. And what I would say, if you're an HR business partner is don't get so caught up in the work that you forget about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And having your, having your, your hierarchy, your, your, your manager, your, your mentors support you as well. As don't, important. don't have it be episodic. Don't have it be episodic. It's yeah. gotta be intentional. Great yeah. advice. Don't let, okay. don't let it happen to you Correct. too often. We let it happen to us. Well, instead Rob, of Yeah. Uh, Robin, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, I was just going to say one of the key things that we did for our employee value proposition was our theme was choose your path. We don't care what you choose, but you have to choose mm -hmm. because if you don't, then we can't build a, we can't build a plan for you. Mm -hmm. But that, that is awesome advice. I appreciate you uh, answering the question so well, hopefully that will, uh, you know, prompt a couple people to maybe think about how they're approaching their careers. I want to thank you for being on drive through HR today, Don. I, do, I really enjoyed the conversation. I, I know Robin was look, really looking forward to it as well. Before we, before we wrap up, uh, can you share whatever info that you might be willing to part with uh, about how people might reach out to you if they wanted to get in touch? Sure. 
Um, I have a uh, my LinkedIn page, Don Robertson, uh, is probably the best way. So you can go, you know, there's a lot of good information of previous articles and things that uh, I've we published there. Um, they can also go to the website, Northwestern Mutual, and reach me that way. Um, but uh, if somebody reaches out to me via the via the LinkedIn, I, I'm usually pretty pretty good about responding pretty quickly. So and my team team does a great job. So happy to help. I mean, at this stage of my career, happy to help in any way I can. Awesome, Robin. You want to take us out? I am ready to take us out, Don. Thank you so much. Uh, and I told Don this uh, in our pre-show, but I will just let everybody else know. He once upon a time, NML's HR department was my dream job when I lived in Milwaukee. <laughs> so if he's got an opening uh, when you go to connect with him, um, I think you'll all want to explore working on his team now. So uh, thanks again, Don. Thank you, Michael. And we are out of here. Thanks, Robin. Thank you. That was uh, that was a lot of fun. I hope that uh, was good for you guys. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.